Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. Well, Friday morning, this cute little dog was dropped off at our house. We're, we're just dog setting is what we're doing. Her name is Dudley, and she's a one-and-a-half-year-old Dudley Lab. I'd never heard of that, a Dudley Lab, but that's what she is. And she's a little stinker. She's a little troublemaker. I was stretching on the floor, just getting ready for a run. She comes over, grabs the hat off my head, takes off with it. My son left his Old Spice deodorant on a step. Sure enough, she's grabbing that, chewing that thing to nothing. I came in from a run yesterday. I mean, I'm all sweaty, nasty. I take my socks off. She grabs that stinky sock and is just chewing on that thing. My son was asleep one morning, and I opened the door because I had to save all his shoes that he had all over the house because they're going to be chewed up to nothing. So I take all of his shoes. I open his door, quietly put them in, and that dog comes barging into his room, jumping on his bed, waking him up. My son Dawson was like, what is this dog doing here? How long is this dog staying with us? And why didn't anybody tell me about this dog? Well, some things, sometimes things come into our lives that we weren't expecting. Sometimes it's a little trouble. Sometimes it can get pretty messy. You know, the definition of a mess is a disordered, untidy, or unpleasant state or condition. And that happens to you, and that happens to me, it happens to all of us. When everything is fine, and then everything is not fine, like real fast. When everything has been smooth sailing, and then it's like rough patch after rough patch after rough patch, and everything was nice and neat and tidy in your life, and then it's just like pure chaos out of nowhere. Well, what do you do in those situations? What do you do with those circumstances? What do you do with people who come into your life and make a mess of your life. Today we're gonna to study the lives of some individuals who are minding their own business, going about their daily lives, being faithful to the tasks and assignments that were given them, and things get messy, and they get really bad. The individuals that I'm talking about more than likely were teenagers, 13 to 18 years of age, when they were uprooted from their land of Israel taken captive along with tens of thousands of others, exiled and relocated a thousand miles away to the country of Babylon. And in Babylon, they would be retrained in a new culture, a new language, and new customs. At the time of our story, and we're going to see them in Daniel chapter 3, if you want to take your Bibles and turn there. When we get to Daniel chapter 3, they're no longer teenagers. 15 to 20 years more than likely has transpired and now they are between the ages of 27 and 32. So they are young men, 27 years old to 32 years old. And they've risen in leadership in the nation of Babylon. As a matter of fact, in Daniel chapter 1, we're told that they are actually attending the king. He's the most powerful man on the planet, King Nebuchadnezzar. No one's even close to him. They're managing the province of Babylon, we'll be told in Jan Daniel chapter 3. I mean, Babylon is the most powerful country in the world. It's like they're managing Washington, D.C. and all of the surrounding areas of America. These guys are important. They're in charge. Who are they? Well, their Jewish names are Hananiah, meaning grace of the Lord, Misiel, 
meaning he that is a strong God, and Azariah, the Lord, is a help. But their captors will do something to them. Their captors will change their names, hoping to change their loyalties. And they will be known as Shadrach, command of Aku, the moon god, Meshach, belonging to Aku, the moon god, and Abednego, slave of Nebo, the god of wisdom and writing. Can I say, just because someone changes your name doesn't mean it changes your loyalty. And just because they change your name doesn't mean they change your character. See, somebody may call you names and put you down. It doesn't mean they change who you are as a child of God. It's their character that's going to be tried and going to be tested. It's their character that's going to stand out when we find them in a mess, a mess that they've never asked for. It's a mess they do not deserve. It's a mess that's completely out of their hands. And we see it in Daniel chapter 3. And in Daniel chapter 3, we're going to study three kinds of people that come into your life and make a mess. And then we're going to learn how to handle those messy people and the messes that they make. So to start off, let's identify some mess makers. Here's mess maker number one. Powerful people who make foolish decisions. Someone in a powerful position of authority who comes into your life or whom you're under their authority and they make foolish decisions and it makes a mess. It could be somebody in your family. Bad decision and it's made a mess. It could be the boss of a company. Bad decision and it's made a mess. It could be the leader of a nation. The leader of a state, foolish leaders making foolish decisions, passing foolish laws, making a mess of people's lives. There's nothing new under the sun. We pick it up in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. It's 10 stories tall. Think about that. He set it up in the plain of Dur in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all the rulers of the provinces assembled to the dedication for the dedication of the statue the king had set up. And then they stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And a herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore... When all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. How foolish. We have a foolish statue erected to the ego of the world's most powerful man. Huge and ostentatious. Ten stories high, made of gold. Why would he make this statue? Well, maybe if you go back to Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream Daniel will interpret the dream, and it's revealed to Daniel, it's revealed to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2.38, that you, King Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. So maybe you went to his head, and he wanted everybody to know, hey man, I'm the gold standard, I'm, I'm the most powerful, I'm the greatest. And now they have this foolish celebration and dedication, and everyone who is anyone is assembled. It's the who's who of Babylonian leadership. Everybody's there. And then you have this foolish command, when you hear the sound, when the band plays... 
You fall down, face down, and you worship the gold, the gold statue. And then you have the foolish threat. Bow or burn. And then you have the foolish scene. All of these people are bowing to this statue. Men, every language, bowing face down. This is a lifeless statue that they're worshiping. It can't hear. It can't speak. It does nothing for them and nothing for anybody. And they all give in to the pressure to worship this thing. Child of God, there will always be pressure in this world to bow to the gods of this culture. Do not give into the pressure of this culture and this world. You will be pressured to, to bow to the God of acceptance and tolerance of every kind of sin. Bow. You'll be pressured to, to bow to, to the God of choice, that there is no right and there is no wrong and you can do whatever you want. Bow. You should, you'll be pressured to bow to the God of materialism. More money, more things will bring you happiness. Just bow to that God. And you'll be pressured to bow to the God of popularity. Just make sure you fit in with everybody. Bow. See, our culture really is very polytheistic. There are many false gods out there in this world where you will be pressured to bow. And everywhere our three friends look, people are compromising. Everywhere they look, everybody is bowing. And the pressure is real. And the pressure is real for them and the pressure is real for you. It's, it's not a big deal, just bow. Why be difficult? This is the culture you are now living in. Just bow. Why cause trouble? Just bow. It's not worth losing your job or your reputation or your life. Just bow. Powerful people who make foolish decisions can make a mess of one's life. Second mess maker. Hateful people who won't keep their mouth shut can make a mess of your life. These are slanderers and gossips and people who spread rumors and they attack and they accuse. I have a friend I see just about every single time I run at Sawiki, which is a forest preserve here in Oswego. It's down by the river. And I have a friend, he, he parks in his car. And after every run, we get together and he's in his car and we pray together. He's a Christian, comes to this church. I saw him on Wednesday and he was a little concerned. He said, Pastor Scott, you're not going to believe this. I, I got a call from, from my boss, 11 o'clock last night. And he said, uh, I, I want to talk to you. See, a woman who comes to this forest preserve has seen your car park there, and she took a picture of it, and she took a picture of your license plate, and she put it on social media, saying, I don't trust this man. Does anybody know who he is? I don't feel safe around him. Mind you, my friend has never gotten out of his truck. He reads his Bible. He watches the birds. He sits by the river. And he prays with me afterward. He doesn't even know who this woman is and has never talked to her. I want you to understand, anybody can say anything about anyone at any time. And boy, can they make a mess of your life. Our three friends are in a mess because of the mouths of certain people. 
We see them in verse 8 of Daniel chapter 3. Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews. You have appointed to manage the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king, and they do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Boy, oh boy, do we have mess makers with big mouths. And they jump at the occasion to slander. I mean, can't these guys just mind their own business? Can't they be grateful that the three at least showed up for the dedication? Couldn't they just handle this privately and said, hey, we understand, we see you not bowing. Can you help us understand your culture? Just educate us. Why, why wouldn't you do this? No, none of that. Maliciously accuse. Scripture has much to say about the danger of the mouth, the danger of our tongues, and the mess they can make. James chapter 3, we're told the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. May we never forget you and I have hellfire burning in our mouths. And we need to be very careful what we say and how we say it. God gives us a list of his most hated sins in Proverbs chapter 6. He talks about the eyes and the tongue and the hands and the heart and feet that run to evil. And he gives the last one. Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. One who stirs up trouble among brethren. Among the brothers, among brethren. How do you do that? With slander, with gossip, with criticism with the spreading of rumors. One of God's most hated sins is people who spread trouble. And they do it from their mouth. Proverbs 16, 28, a contrary person spreads conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 18, 8, a gossip's words are like choice food that goes down in one's innermost being. See, they're just feeding the king these delicacies. You've had people feed you too. Oh, did you hear about? Can you believe so and so? Did you, did you know? They're just feeding you gossip, feeding you slander. The next time somebody tries to feed you gossip and slander, you stop them and you say, I didn't know about this. Let's call the person right now and confirm that's the case. That's how you shut up a gossip. That's how you shut down a slanderer. You put them on the spot and you say, let's go to the person right now. Let's call them right now. You know what? I'm going to text them right now. Oh, no, no. Then you know you've got a gossip on your hands. Then you know you've got a slanderer on your hands. Proverbs 26, without food, or without food, without wood, fire goes out. Without gossip, a conflict dies down. As charcoal for embers and wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. They just love to throw the wood on the fire, so to speak, and keep it going. Proverbs 26, 23. Smooth lips with an evil heart are like a glaze on an earthen vessel. A hateful person disguises himself with his speech and harbors deceit within. 
But when he speaks graciously, don't believe him, for there are seven detestable things in his heart. And though his hatred is concealed by deception, his evil will be revealed in the assembly. He's just waiting for the right opportunity because he's smooth talking. She's really sweet to you in person. But as soon as they get an opportunity to badmouth you in front of other people, they're going to take it. Make this your prayer, child of God. Psalm 141.3, Lord, set up a guard for my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Why? Because you and I have hellfire in our mouths. And you and I need to pray about how we speak and what we say. Pray. These guys in verse 9, they flatter the king. May the king live forever. And then they stroke his ego and feed his pride. And they go through the, the instructions that were given out. And then they point out the problem people. Did you see this? There are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you notice the prejudice right there? Not there's some guys, there's certain men, and these are, the, these are their positions. There's some Jews. You know, people do the same thing today when they don't have to give a description of somebody, but they do anyway. It was that black guy. It was that Hispanic woman. It was that Asian. It was that white dude. Be very careful about pointing out someone's ethnicity, someone's color, when it is not necessary to do so. He makes it very personal, don't they? They ignore you, the king, and they, they don't serve your God, and they don't worship the gold statue you set up. They're just digging in. It's all about you making this real personal, stirring the pot, throwing some more lighter fluid on the fire of slander, turning up the heat. These are mess makers, powerful people who, who make foolish decisions and hateful people who won't keep their mouths shut. Here's mess maker number three, proud people who are angry, emotional, and unreasonable. And some of us have no idea the messes that we cause because we let the emotions get the best of us. We lose our tempers, and we're not willing to listen to reason. And we leave this trail of relational mess and relational distress with family members, with coworkers, with classmates, with teammates. And this guy explodes. Explosions are always messy. And if you're somebody who explodes, you're making a lot of messes for yourself and the people around you. And this is a crazed, proud king, throwing a fit, spewing anger, making threats. Just look at verse 13. In a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders, bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, is it true you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you'll immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? He orders them brought in, furious. This guy's got serious anger issues. Back in Daniel 2, the king became violently angry and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Here in verse 13, furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar orders them. We'll see in verse 19, he's filled with rage. His expression on his faith changes. Here's some good advice for you. Keep your distance from angry people. 
Keep your distance from angry people. The wisdom of Proverbs 22. Don't make friends with an angry person. Don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one. Or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a, in a snare. Choose your friends wisely. Because you're going to pick up their traits and their habits. And you're going to get yourself entangled in the problems that they cause. Here's some wisdom from Proverbs. You want to minimize, minimize your messes in your life? I want to minimize the messes in my life? One way to do it is by controlling our anger. Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. You don't have to raise your voice. And then the next person raises it higher. And you raise it even higher. No, 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 no. That doesn't help the situation. Respond gently. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one slow to anger calms strife. You don't even need to give an instant answer. You don't have to take an instant action. Slow down before you make a big mess with that person or that situation. James chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, listen up Christians. Understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen. No exception. Everyone should be quick to listen. You don't need to get your opinion out there. Keep your mouth shut and listen. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Do you, do you get that last part there? Angry people rarely ever say the right thing or do the right thing. When you are angry, you're almost guaranteed of saying the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing. You need time to cool down because you are not going to accomplish the righteousness of God. You're going to bring about more sin and more mess in your life. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. See, see, a fool is like a rabid dog off leash. Just giving full vent, just, just running wild with their mouth and their actions. A wise person keeps it on leash, short leash. It says, I need to be very careful right now. Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry. For anger abides in the heart of fools. Man, some people, they're just, they're so angry and they've been angry for a long time. You've been bitter about something for so long and you've been so angry at that person. Man, you're just letting it sit in there. It's just rotting you from the inside out. Anger abides in the heart of fools. Stop being a fool. Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and do not sin. It's okay to be angry when somebody's done something to you they shouldn't have done or said something about you they shouldn't have said. You can be angry, but don't sin. Don't let it turn into sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. Have that conversation you need to have. Do what you need to do. And don't give the devil an opportunity because he is just waiting to explode this thing into so much more than it needs to be. The king questions them in verse 14. 
Is it true you don't serve my gods and you don't worship the gold statue I set up? And he commands them. He says, I'm going to give you a second chance or you die. And so there's pressure again to conform and lower their standards and join the crowd and do what they know is wrong. I mean, come on, be reasonable. Why lose your job? Why lose your reputation? Why lose your life? Your family needs you. And by the way, compromise. Bow with your body. You don't have to bow with your heart. That'll be the lie. Just, just compromise. Just go ahead and bow. Just don't bow with your heart. All under the threat of death. And then he gives this added arrogance and ego. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Talk about pride. Pride comes before a what? A mess. A big fall. This king is basically saying, I'm more powerful than your God, and your God is no match for my power. All I can say is God likes a challenge. Amen. So we've looked at three mess makers, powerful people who make foolish decisions, hateful people who won't keep their mouths shut, and proud people who are angry, emotional, and unreasonable. Don't be a mess maker, first of all. How do you deal with those people, though? How do you handle the mess makers who come into our lives? And how do you handle the messes that they make? And these messes are unwanted, uninvited, and unannounced. And these messes, I mean, they stand to lose a lot. Their job, their reputation, their friendships, their family, their life. Well, let's see their incredible response in verse 16 of Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. I want to give you four words in handling messy people and the messes that they make. Four words. Here's the first one. Calm. Refuse to panic. Remain calm with messy people and the messes they make. Now, their mind was made up. They knew where they stood. They knew why they stood. They, they don't need more time to think about this. They don't need to consult any experts. They, they don't need the band to play another one or two or eight times. It doesn't matter. Here's some really good reminders from wisdom literature to remain calm. Ecclesiastes 9.17. Calm, the calm words of the wise are heeded more than the shouts of a ruler over fools. People are more apt to listen when you are calm. Ecclesiastes 10.4, if the ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post, for calmness puts great offenses to rest. Calm people are more apt to calm people. Proverbs 16.14, a king's fury is as a messenger of death, but a wise person appeases it. Wise people are calm people. Proverbs 25.15, a ruler can be persuaded through patience, and a gentle tongue can break the bone. Calm 
equals power. And calm equals influence. Be a calm person. Remain calm. That's the first word. The second word is confident. Be firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. And that's what they do in verse 17. He can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. He can rescue us from your power, king. And they're firm no matter what others say, including this king. Do you remember what the king had just said? And who is this God that can rescue you from my power? Do not let other people undermine your faith in your God. No matter what they say, don't let it undermine your faith in God. No matter who they are, don't let it undermine your faith in God. No matter how important and powerful they are in your life, don't let it undermine your faith in God. And they choose to trust and not to fear. He can rescue us. He can rescue us. We are going to choose to trust in our God and not fear man. We're going to trust in our God no matter how messy our circumstances are. And we're going to trust him no matter how hot the furnace is. And some of you this week are maybe staring at a hot furnace. And it's getting even hotter. And somebody is turning up the heat. And you need to just keep trusting in your God. And they're going to trust in him no matter how intimidating the person is. And maybe you have a very intimidating person in your life. Who's very powerful and very important. You need to trust in God. And not fear people. And take heed to the wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs 29:25. The fear of man is a snare. It is a trap. If that's how you live your life, you are living trapped. But the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. Trust is your protection. Faith in God is your protection. I've been listening to a podcast, just finished it. It's called Night of the Grizzlies. It's about grizzly bear attacks that happened in Glacier National Park in 1967. There was a young 19-year-old woman along with a bunch of friends of hers that went camping together along the High Line Trail. And they stopped at the Granite Park Chalet. And the chalet was packed out and there were dozens of people camping outside. They weren't the only ones. And all were asleep when a big grizzly bear who smelled their food came into camp in the middle of the night. And obviously everybody got scared. And they were able to scare it off. But it came back. When it came back, the friends started climbing up in trees because grizzly bears don't climb trees. And although the friends were in the trees except one, her name was Julie Hagelson. And they were calling to her from the trees, Julie, get out of your sleeping bag. Julie, right now. Julie, get up the tree. Julie, join us. Julie, get out of your sleeping bag. She refused. She stayed in her sleeping bag, cowering in fear. And the bear would come over and sniff, grab a hold of her with its mouth, drag her into the woods and maul her to death. If only she would have trusted in her friend's advice. If only she would have listened to her friends. If only she would have stopped fearing and done what she needed to do. Some of you need to get out of your sleeping bags of fear. You're trapped in a sleeping bag of fear. And I don't know who the grizzly is in your life, and I don't know the problem that's coming that's been haunting you, but you need to start trusting in your God. And you need to start walking in faith. And you need to start holding on to his promises and his word. And you need to get out of that sleeping bag before it's too late. 
And you need to make God your focus, not your fear. And in verse 17, they make God their focus. If the God we serve exists, he can rescue us. He can rescue us. Focus on the reality of your God. My God is real. My God does care. Focus on the reality of your God, not the thing or person that you fear. And focus on his power. He can rescue us from the burning blaze, blazing fire, furnace of blazing fire. He can rescue us from the power of you, O king. Focus on the reality of God and focus on the power of your God. There is no mess he can't handle. Stop living in fear. Calm, refuse to panic. Confident, firm in your faith. Here's the third word. Conviction. Refuse to compromise. I love how verse 18 starts off. But even if he does not rescue us, there's no presumption upon God. There's an understanding that they can die. There's an understanding that this may not end well for them in this life. There's that acknowledgement that God doesn't always rescue or deliver. Just read this book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Originally published in 1563, thousands of Christians, the story of thousands who've suffered and died for their faith that were not rescued by God. Nameless brothers and sisters in Christ who never went down to the Christian bookstore and read your best life now. Please don't believe in the prosperity gospel, please. Believe in your God and his holy word. Read how the disciples of Jesus died. His disciples, according to historical records, James the Great is beheaded, Andrew crucified, Matthew slain with a halberd and axe like blade on a long spear, James the less beaten and stoned and his brains dashed out with a fuller's club, that's a club embedded with spikes, Matthias stoned and beheaded, Andrew crucified, Philip crucified, Peter crucified his head downward, upside down, Jude crucified, Thomas thrust through with a spear. Simon crucified. John was banished to the island of Patmos. Oh, by the way, after he was boiled alive and survived. Those were the closest followers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who, by the way, was also crucified. Just read the book of Job. God doesn't always rescue. He faced horrific pain, losing his fortune, losing his family, losing his health. And what were the words of Job in the middle of all of his suffering in Job 13? Even if he, even God, if you kill me, I will what? Hope in you. God, even if you kill me, I will trust in you. God, even if I get cancer and suffer for years, I will trust in you. God, even if I'm paralyzed in a car accident going home from church today, I'm going to trust in you. God, even if I lose all of my business, everything, my money, I will trust in you. God, no matter what happens in my life, I will trust in you. Are those your words to your God? That he doesn't have to rescue you. He is sovereign. He knows what is best. And that all things will work out for good to those who trust in him. Just read the account in Hebrews of all the people who are not rescued. Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. These men and women who walked in faith. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others, that's Christians, experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. 
The world was not worthy of them. Amen. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. These are nameless followers of God. All these were approved through their faith. God approved them. You don't need the world's approval. You need God's approval. They did not receive what was promised. They did not receive rescue. Since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. See, there's something so much better than this world. Stop living for this world and start living for eternity. Just just read the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians. But then now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Why? For me to live as Christ and what? To die as gain. Do you understand that, Christian? The best day of your life is the day of your death. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. Because you are made perfect in the presence of your almighty God. They're going to follow God whether they're rescued or not. Hold fast your convictions. That's what they're doing. You want your gold statue, king? You can make a gold statue. You want to bow to your gold statue? You can bow to your gold statue. Hey, hey we work for you. We're faithful employees. We, we came to your dedication. And we're not serving that gold statue. And we're not going to worship that gold statue no matter how many times your band plays. See, when the world demands you toe the line, that's where you draw the line. When the world demands you toe the line, that's where you draw the line and you hold fast your convictions. And there are times we disobey the laws of the land. When we choose God over government, when government demands we disobey God. Understand that. You disobey the government when the government says disobey God. Peter and the apostles teach us that. The Jewish authorities have arrested them, the Sanhedrin, the high priest, the temple police, and they're put in jail. They're given strict orders not to teach or preach about Jesus. What does Peter and the apostles reply? Verse 29, we must obey God rather than people. That's conviction. We must obey God rather than people. So they're going to keep on sharing about Jesus and keep on teaching about Jesus and keep on holding to what the word of God teaches. And by the way, that's what we're going to do at our church no matter what the culture changes or what they tell us to do. We're, we're going to stay because we answer to God, not the culture. We answer to God, not a government. We answer to God. He's the one we're going to stand before. And this, this world doesn't do anything to get us into heaven. God does. And so we preach and teach truth. We hold on to truth. By the way, we speak the truth in love. We don't get obnoxious about it and throw it in people's faces. But we hold on to the truth. And we speak it in love. But what's the foundation of the convictions that they have? And what is our foundation of the convictions that we hold on to? Well, the old hymn written 1787 puts it this way. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith where? In his excellent word. This is the foundation. This is where our convictions lie, right here. See, the roots of our faith must cling to the word of God. If the roots of your faith are not clinging to the word of God, you will be toppled over in the storms of this life. Your roots got to cling to the holy word of God. And these guys, their roots clung to the word of God. See, they knew the commandments of God. They knew the top two commandments, Exodus 20. Number one commandment, do not have other gods beside me. That's their conviction. That's the word of God. 
Commandment number two, verse four. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on earth below or in the waters underneath. Do not bow in worship to them and do not serve them. That was their conviction. Their conviction based on the word of God. I'm sorry, we're not going to obey the government when the government says disobey you, king. They knew the truth of God's word, like Deuteronomy 4. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you and make an idol for yourselves in the shape of anything he has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. They're more concerned about another fire, not Nebuchadnezzar's little spark. Be more concerned about your God who is a consuming fire, not the furnace of some trial that you're going through. Calm, confident, conviction. Here's the next word, courage. The wrath of the king is now unleashed. Verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage. The expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than what was customary. He commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing fire. I want you to understand what is going on here. Execute them now. The king is enraged. There's no reasoning with this guy. There's no changing his mind. It says his face changed. Well, if you're angry and you know it, then your face will surely show it. It's showing it. (laughs) And he's turning all kinds of shades of red and veins are popping out of his neck and no one talks to me like that. And he takes extreme measures, makes it hotter than ever, seven times hotter, and he uses his best soldiers, most valiant, brave, and loyal warriors. Tie him up, toss him in. And this angry man is a dangerous man. Angry people are dangerous people. The king's command in verse 22 is so urgent, the furnace is extremely hot. Raging flames kill the men who carried these guys up. His out-of-control hatred kills his best men. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. And they face the fire with courage. In C.S. Lewis's fifth book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader in the Chronicles of Narnia. Caspian, who is now king of Narnia and his crew, along with Lucy and Edmund and Eustace, find themselves full of fear and full of panic. They're desperately seeking safety as darkness has overtaken the ship and they see no way out of the mess that they're in. It's then that Lucy will lay her dead head down and she will pray to Aslan. If ever you loved us at all, send us help now. And there will be a bird in a matter of time, an albatross that will fly around the ship three times and land and call out in a sweet voice and a strong voice with words that only Lucy can understand. Courage, dear heart. Courage, dear heart. And soon they will be brought safely through. Following the account, C.S. Lewis gives us these words. And all at once, everybody realized that there was nothing to be afraid of and never had been. Courage, dear heart. There is nothing to be afraid of and there never has been. No matter the mess you find yourself in and no matter who has made the mess. The mess makers, who are they? Powerful people who make foolish decisions, hateful people who won't keep their mouths shut, and proud people who are angry, emotional, and unreasonable. Don't be those people. But how do you handle them and how do you handle the messes? 
calm, refuse to panic. Confident, firm in your faith. Conviction, refuse to compromise. And courage, face the fire. And next week, we'll see the rest of the story. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As a believer in Jesus Christ, would you just thank God that he is sovereign, that he is powerful, and that you have nothing to worry about or fear? Christian, would you just give thanks to God? Would you give thanks to God for his word, which gives us strength and faith and conviction? As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, would you share whatever concerns you have with God right now? The furnace that you are facing this coming week or that you're in right now, the fear that you have of people, the trust that you need to have in your God, Maybe you're here today and you have an angry, an anger issue and it's getting you in messes. Maybe you have a mouth issue and you don't know how to keep it shut. Would you pray right now and ask God to keep a guard over it? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be here today and you've never come to faith in Jesus. There is a God who became a man who died on the cross because he loves you. And he will forgive you of every sin and any sin you've ever committed. Would you ask him to forgive you? And you may be here today, you may be online or in person, you may say, Scott, that's me. I need God in my life. What do I do? What do I say? In the quietness of your heart right now, Sincerely call out to him. Just use words like these, Lord, I need you. Would you please forgive me of all of my sin? Thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sin. I place my faith in you. I can't save myself. I could never be good enough to go to heaven. I need you to get me there. Lord, would you please save me? And I pray this in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. Amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning, or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.